Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. The Juice on the Cues podcast on the Big Heads Media Network is presented by MyBookie.ag. At MyBookie, it's time to celebrate the college football season. Sign up now and make your first deposit to get a dollar-for-dollar match all the way up to $1,000. The best part is MyBookie has thousands of bets to choose from, from the full NFL slate to college football to the NBA playoffs. From live betting to championship futures, every play you want is waiting at MyBookie. It's simple. Make your picks, win big, collect your cash. Use promo code JUICEONCUSE and double your first deposit now. Again, that's promo code JUICEONCUSE. It's a no-brainer. Your winning season begins today only at mybookie.ag. It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cuse podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Today on the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be talking about a four-star commitment for Syracuse football and the release of a new depth chart. I'm Wes Chang, and I'll be joined later by Jim Stick-Schulte, and my guest today is our great friend and Sports Illustrated Director of Football Recruiting, John Garcia, Jr. John, how are you today? It's great to speak to you. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's been a minute, as the kids say, but it's been good. It's, it's been um, you know a nice time here here at SI, all things considered, given you know 2020. But beyond that, it's been pretty great. So always good to be back on with you guys and, and in, in the Syracuse community. Yeah, John, and the Syracuse community definitely misses you. And I want to get you started on this one. The big news on Monday was that Enrique Cruz Jr. committed to Syracuse. He's one of the top offensive linemen in the class of 2021 out of Illinois. What's Syracuse getting out of him? Yeah, this this could be and and probably should be. We don't want to put too many expectations on, on prospects, but this really should be the the left tackle blindside protector of the future for the Orange. Um, this is a kid who really fits what Dino Babers wants to do from an offensive tackle standpoint. I think a lot of times we, in this business, in the scouting business, we want this this prototype and we want this certain height and weight. But I think when when the offense is predicated around speed and pace and space, you can make do with a guy who's a little bit lighter, who who's a little bit more athletic. Uh, and I think that's what Cruz really brings to the table. Absolutely love this kid's frame and footwork. 6'5", probably, you know, 260-ish or so right now. Look, he's going to put on weight when he gets into that ACC strength and conditioning program. We're not worried about that. But my point is you don't need these 315-pound maulers like you used to in that type of offense. You know, one one of the things that we're really excited about at SI All-American is we're actually doing team recruiting rankings based on, in in part, filling team needs and the fits 
of these prospects. So, you know, all, all across the board, you can have two prospects and you can like one better than the other, but it doesn't mean that that secondary kid doesn't fit the school he's going to better than that first kid does. So I think with Cruz, this is one of those where you where the stars align and you kind of hit all the marks. He's got great tape. He's got upside where, where he has room to improve and get better, certainly with his anchor and his run blocking. But then the fit is is just, you know, chef's kiss. It's butter. He is an athletic, true blindside pass protector who can play with speed and in space, which is exactly what Dino Babers in that offense wants to do. Let's talk about another offensive guy, Amari Hatcher, a 2021 Virginia wide receiver, also committed to Syracuse last week. And to your point, does he fit within Syracuse's up-tempo offense? He does. You know, I think when you're when you're really spreading the football around, what you want is versatility, you know, because you're not going to be, in theory, you don't want to shuffle in and out personnel very much. You want to basically keep the defense on their toes. And the beauty of that fast pace, you know, basketball on grass approach is that you're you're not only going quickly in terms of just literal, yeah, I'm snapping the ball every, I don't know, 15, 20 seconds, like Oregon used to do, but you're doing so without having to make any substitutions. Because obviously, when you're substituting, the defense has the opportunity to basically have a, a poor man's timeout and, and get their personnel right based on your personnel. So if you can work with prospects who can do more than one thing, play more than one role, I, I think you have your, your the makings of what you want. And you know, I, I think with this receiver, with Hatcher, I think he's sort of that classic outside guy, which is what this spread offense needs. It needs a big body uh, who can go back shoulder, who can go win that 50-50 ball. He may not be in position to outrun the defense, but you have your slot receivers and your backs who are utilized in the passing game, an athletic quarterback, et cetera, to, to utilize the middle part of the field. This is more of a boundary player, a vertical, a linear type prospect. You know, we saw success. I mean, gosh, we've seen success every year, but your, your bigger 6'3 and above receivers, especially at SU, have really thrived in the Babers scheme. And, and that's a big reason why a guy like Hatcher picked SU uh, coming out of the state of Virginia, which is, you know, becoming pretty interesting recruiting territory uh, for SU. We're not seeing them dip down all the way south to Florida as much. I don't even think they have a Floridian committed right now. So you get into the DMV area, the Mid-Atlantic, the Carolinas, and then you always will have your Northeast, your Jerseys, your New Yorks, et cetera. Uh, and it becomes an interesting blend uh, with, with how your roster can change a little bit. So I really like the hat you get. You just mentioned the need for athletic quarterbacks, so let's talk about California quarterback Justin Lampson. He committed to Syracuse back in August. You had a chance to watch his tape and give an extensive scouting report on him. How long will it take for Lampson to develop into the quarterback of the future for Syracuse? Yeah, I, I think it's going to take a second. You know, it's not one of these plug-and-play type of quarterback prospects, and that's not a bad thing. I think um, in, in this era of uh, Tua Bailoa and Trevor Lawrence, you know, going to the ship and winning it as freshmen, it's, it's such a farce. It's such a, a smokescreen and what most of college football outside of five programs has to deal with. And Syracuse is obviously in that group where development is still very, very important at every single position. I think, you know, we saw with, with Tommy DeVito, he had big expectations when he signed with SU. He got his chance and things looked promising. And then when it was his turn fully, there was some growing pains there. So I do think there's still development with these type of prospects. But, you know, when you throw on the tape with Justin Lampson, there's a lot of 
West Coast vibes, a lot of gunslinger vibes, which is organically going to bring you to Eric Dungey. He's probably a little bit smaller than Eric, uh, maybe has a better arm at the same stage, uh, but he might be a tad behind in the athleticism department. But there is a lot to work with there, uh, and I think if you're an SC fan, you would take that at this point. Look, this this 21 quarterback class moved uh, quicker than most. There are still big-time programs that don't have a quarterback verbally committed. Um, I think of Maryland. I think of Miami, which, which have great big recruiting classes, 20-plus commitments, just like SU does but not necessarily their guy at that position. And that's another thing we're doing at SI All-American. We're really weighing that quarterback position and how the fit, again, assimilates towards the next level. And that's where where Lance, and I do think, gives you some margin for error, just like we saw with Eric Dungy. It's not – the system is flexible under Babers. It's not necessarily sit in the pocket – scan one, two, three, and go and throw it away, there, there are ways to tweak it to where you're, you're reading a little bit less and using your legs a little bit more. We saw Dungy execute half rolls, design rollouts, obviously some quarterback run as well. And I think Justin can do some of those same things. He's a little bit, like I said, he's a little bit more um, polished as a passer, in my opinion, compared to, Dun- to Dungy coming out. Uh, and they're both big kids. You know, he's 6'2", 210. It's not like because Dungy was bigger at the end of his career that we're, we're saying physically Lamson needs a lot of development. I think it's purely mental, and it's reps and polish. The arm is there, but is he getting through his progressions at that same rate as a senior in high school? We'll see. And, of course, he's in the state of California, so if, if he is going to you know play ever, another down of high school ball, it, it'll come next year. So that throws another wrench of, of inexperience and, and question marks around any – instant impact projection, really for this entire class anywhere because of the lack of, of a, a normal situation building up to that, that college debut. But, again, from a physical standpoint, we like Lampson a lot. He's an SI All-American candidate for a reason. Uh, the state of California is loaded with quarterbacks every year, and he was right in the thick in the middle of the pack there uh, among some of the best. Uh, so I think he's got a lot of tools. But he's, he's going to take some time. I think there's, this is a bit of a development, a bit of a project, if you will, but I don't want that to come off as a bad word or bad term. That's still something that's important, like I said, for every program not named LSU, Ohio State, Alabama, et cetera. John, you mentioned the new evaluation process you take for classes as a whole at SI All-American. I'm interested to get your take on what you think of Syracuse's overall class now that they have 20 verbal commitments so far. Yeah, you know, this wouldn't be uh, necessarily a top 25 class. And, you know, we actually dropped that metric this week. Uh, so this is one of the sort of outside-looking-in groups. Uh, but, but like I said, w- one of the things that we are weighing is, is, is how the, the fits exist at important positions, quarterback, obviously, left tackle. I mean, look who we've talked about so far today. You know, your two class headliners, Enrique Cruz and Justin Lampson, fit those, those premium positions. It's really just four, right? It's quarterback, left tackle, corner, and, and your true pass-rushing types. And I think uh, SU has a good group established from that perspective. You've got some pass rushers. I think uh, Jatius Gear can play inside or out. That's important. I think Hayden Nelson's a little bit longer and lighter, a little bit more built to come off of the edge. So, again, you want some of that versatility uh, to keep guys on the field regardless of, of down and distance. But then you've got your quarterback, you have your left tackle, and you have some volume too. You know, you have some great fits 
volume wise. But yeah, we're, we're, we're ranking a little bit deeper than, than numbers suggest. But this group is, is right there outside of the top 25. Um, we, we haven't gone beyond 25, you know, literally just yet. We're, we're still sort of, you know, we're in year one where we're taking things one day at a time. But that it, within the SEC, I would say this is a top 10 group to me. And, and that might not sound like much uh, for most Orange fans, but uh, it, it doesn't take a, a long look to realize that this thing is starting to trend in the right direction. And this is one of the best classes that, that the Orange have brought in. And I think in quite some time, you know, um, and, and again, like I said earlier, the caveat of, of interest here is not a lot of true deep south, you know, fertile recruiting ground representation. No Floridians, uh, one kid from Georgia, uh, just not what we're used to seeing in, in sort of the conventional approach for Syracuse recruiting. So I think we're seeing a little bit more of a shift there, at least geographically. It doesn't mean they're going to ignore those areas, and obviously there are targets remaining from those areas. But uh, it is interesting to see, you know, you know, a lack of, of true Southern talent headed in. But you've got California represented. You've got Hawaii represented. It's, it's kind of a national recruiting net, which is has proven to be the method to, to win at the highest level. And that should still be the goal for, for Babers and everybody else. You know, you have to recruit nationally uh, if you're going to compete for a conference or national title. So in that light, SU is, is I think, expanding the right way. And John, we'll get you out of here on this one. Syracuse has a couple available scholarships left in the 2021 class. Who else is Syracuse looking at to round out their class? You know, we, we talked about Hatcher earlier, fitting that, that boundary wide receiver uh, position that, that really complements the smaller, faster bubble screen slot types um, in the spread offense. And I think when you're looking at wide receiver, Rodney Gaston, the second comes to mind. Um, I grew up in Miami, so I actually watched his dad play for the Dolphins many years ago, and he was this big physical possession receiver. He was your third and sixth guy, your over-the-middle guy, absorb the catch and traffic kind of guy. Um, so now I think his son possesses some of those same things. So so now you have uh, sort of a hybrid to me. I, I think he can do some of the boundary receiver things that, that Hatcher can do, um, the Jamal Custis kind of role. But I think there's some tight end upside with Aronde Gaston, too. He's a little bit too big to deal with for linebackers. I saw him last year in person. I mean, he is he looks like his dad as a junior in high school. Now he's obviously a senior, 6'4-plus, right around 200 pounds right now. I think he, he could easily carry 215, and that just creates so many more opportunities. Like we talked about earlier, the more places you can line up without switching a guy in and out, without substituting anybody on that offense to give the defense time to react, the better advantage that, that you've just created for yourself. And I think that's why SU has zeroed in on Gadsden. I think he would round out that pass catcher group uh, if he were to commit uh, to the Orange. And, and, and this is, you know, maybe a conventional type of battle. It's, it's Syracuse, it's Georgia Tech, and it's, it's some G5 schools in the state of Florida, you know, with UCF and USF. The common denominator there, all of them have worked to open up their offense in the last four or five years, in Georgia Tech's case, in the last 12 months. Um, so Gadsden clearly wants to play in that type of offense. And I think, you know, he, he's a quiet kid. He's, he's kept things pretty close to the vest for the most part, certainly more than, than most Floridians were used to. But, again, his, his dad is, you know, has been through it at the collegiate and NFL level. So you expect that to a degree. So I think that those things bode well for the bigger schools usually. They bode well for the schools further from home 
usually. So there are some things, you know, some business decision, quote, end quote, elements of Gadsden's recruitment that I, that I think could be really interesting from the Syracuse perspective, and I think that they have a, a pretty good shot uh, at him. Uh, and Will Wells is another. Will Wells is another uh, prospect out there. Um, the numbers are getting tight, so I'm curious to see exactly how that works out. But those are the two guys that I would look at, um, you know, if I'm an SU fan, who's left, who are the uncommitted that, that I should be interested in. Um, it's around the Gadsden the second and uh, Will Wells. John, thanks so much for coming back on the program. Again, John Garcia, Jr., Director of Football Recruiting for Sports Illustrated. Awesome job, John. Congratulations on all your success. We'll speak to you soon. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me back on. Always great to hear from John. And I'm now joined over the phone by the Juice Online Associate Editor and my very good friend, Jim Sixholdy. Jim, how are you today? I'm doing fine, Wes. How are you? Jim, I'm doing well, and let's talk about Syracuse football's latest depth chart. It came out earlier in the week, and I think it had some very interesting tidbits, especially on the offensive side of the ball on that O-line. What jumped out to you as you looked at it? Uh, There's definitely two surprises, and the offensive line is one of them, so I guess we'll start there. The guards. I mean, Aaron Service is back at left tackle. Check. Carlos Vettorello at center. He finished last season there. Check. Matthew Bergeron at right tackle. He finished last season there. Check. But the guards. Wow. I, yeah, I mean, obviously, Chris Fleisch has not had, his, has an, had an NCAA ruling on his uh, attempt to get eligible immediately. Understandable, he's not there. Dakota Davis, we knew back in spring he was injured and rehabbing, so he wasn't on the spring depth chart. And so there's been some murmuring that he wasn't going to be ready at the start of the season, so I understand that. Darius Tisdale makes sense. He was listed, he was listed as a starter for Dakota Davis in the spring, when, since Davis was not going to practice in the spring. And he was a backup last year at guard, even though he had, didn't play a whole lot. So that makes complete sense to me. The Chris Elmore left guard, that's sure a thing. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's been, he's been kind of, you know, he's shaped like a bowling ball that plays like a Swiss Army knife. He's played fullback and H-back and tight end. And even last year he worked at defensive line, uh, you know, coming in in the rotation as the season wore on and guys got banged up. He played fullback and defensive line in high school. Makes sense. Left guard, though, is – I don't want to say it's completely out of left field. He has played on the field goal and extra point unit as a, as a lineman. So, yes, blocking ability. And in, in the trenches, actually, not just as the fullback or, you know, goes in motion and plows a hole for a tailback to follow through on short yardage. So not completely foreign, but I don't know that he's ever done a pass block set in a game ever. So it certainly is interesting. Um, I honestly thought that Patrick Davis is a senior and has played on special teams through his time here and a few snaps here and there on offense. I just thought that, you know, the logical progression, like he would be, make, he would make sense. And they have Patrick Davis listed as the back of the both guard spots. So maybe, I don't know, something changes, but like, the Chris Elmore thing at left guard is just is, is staggering. Like, if you don't notice that when you're looking through this, I mean, the number five should tip you off with. That's not an offensive lineman number. The other thing was at running back. We, you know, there have been some murmurings that Abdul Adams and Jarvion Howard, you know, Stephen Bailey with the Syracuse.com has, he tweeted out earlier that they haven't appeared in photos and videos that the athletic department football team has put out on social media thus far, which was curious to him because it was noteworthy because these are the guys who are, who have the most work at running back on the roster. We expect them subsequently to be the guys who have the lead roles this year. 
Neither one appears on the depth chart. Jawar Jordan, who was the freshman last year who played in four games and looked absolutely electric going 80 yards on a screen pass against Louisville, is listed as the starter. And Markenzie Pierre, who had a little bit of a short yardage third string role previously, he's listed as the backup. So, you know, running back is kind of basically unproven. And with Jordan's size, maybe it's more of a committee because I don't know that a 5'9", 172-pounder is going to work out for 20 carries a game. So maybe it's a little more of a committee and they share the role and Pierre does kind of gets a little lean in the goal line and short yardage and Jordan is obviously like, you know, like a pass receiving back on third down who moves around and lines up in the slot or goes in motion or whatever. So, but those obviously are the two big things, you know, I, you know, I'm sorry. I, I thought Chris Elmore was a lot more likely to appear at running back than at left guard. We talked about the offense. Let's talk about the defense. There are several freshmen playing key roles that we didn't expect to see there on that depth chart. What are your thoughts on the defense? Um, one of those freshmen definitely caught my eye. Uh, Stephon Thompson was listed as the Sam linebacker. Uh, as a true freshman, he was recruited by the Orange, obviously, last year and, you know, committed. And he was on, he enrolled in January, so he was on campus for the first for you know the spring semester or whatever spring semester there was and now he's listed as the starter at the Sam linebacker spot I mean when you look at the sizes of the guys who are listed the linebacker um he is the biggest of them and I don't mean height I mean weight he's listed at 235 as a freshman I know that Michael Jones who's listed as 230 as the starter at the weak side linebacker starter he I believe his weight last year was either 211 and, and he put on 19 pounds or it was 219 and he put on 11 pounds so the point being is that Thompson is, you know, the biggest, bulkiest guy listed there. Tyrell Richards, who is absent, I believe, was listed as around 240 or so. But the point being is that you see the shift to the 335 and how it demands the bigger players in the line linebacking unit as well as on the line, because those are the guys who have to fight off blockers and you know be a, be a force in, the, in defending the run game. Thompson's six foot 235 size makes me think that he was you know, kind of targeted for his size because I think, you know, they, obviously not to say he couldn't play in the old 4-2-5 or 4-3-4 defense, but I think that 235 fits in nicely for what they want to do, the 3-3-5. It makes you think Babers had, as he said, been thinking about switching to the 3-3-5 for a while and not just something that came up after the change in defensive coordinator when Brian Ward was fired during the season. The other freshman that's sticks out is Richard Freshman Garrett Williams, who's listed as one of the, the starter at one of the cornerback spots. And looking at the guys who are back, Andre Sisco, Trill Williams, Ifiata Melifano, and Eric Coley. The first three of those guys all started last year, and Coley played a bunch as the backup of both safety spots. So knowing that they had to stop the obvious, they're going to start five running five defensive backs, excuse me, in the three three five. It was a question of who was going to join those guys at you know, in the in the backfield, and not knowing if Trill Williams was going to be listed as a corner or a safety because he's played both, but it makes sense that they put him at safety because he's such a great playmaker and can do a lot of different things and probably be a lot more of a headache for oppo- for opposing offenses if he's at safety than at corner. And so Garrett Williams, you know, he I believe he appeared in four games but only on special teams last year, so he hasn't lined up on defense yet. So, but when you look at the guys, looks as reserved behind Garrett Williams. Uh, Chase Atkinson, who's behind Melifano at the other corner, it seems like they were going to have to go with a young guy regardless, unless they went with Kyle Strickland, who's a redshirt senior. But Strickland has not played much in his career. So Williams is a surprise, but I think it was just more 
picking from picking the best of probably a pretty thin group as far as you know what the coaches felt comfortable with as far as getting that fit defensive back on the field. Jim, we're right at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts. Well, going back to Jawar Jordan and his uh, starting role on the offense, it makes me think about the addition of Sterling Gilbert as the offensive coordinator. Gilbert has worked with uh, Babers of Boris as coordinator a couple, both seasons at Eastern Illinois, and the first season Babers was the head coach at Bowling Green. And they lit up offenses, lit up uh, defenses, rather, with their offense at both those stops over those three years. But Jordan's small stature and ability in the passing game makes me wonder if Gilbert's presence as the offensive quarter is going to tweak the offense, or actually kind of figure it will tweak the offense, but it makes me wonder how. But with Jordan's presence on the field, as well as tight ends Eric Aaron Hackett and the speedier tight end, Luke Benson, it makes me wonder if the offense is going to change and it actually tilts a little bit more towards passing until the offensive line, which we know was a trouble spot last year and looks like it might be a trouble spot again this year, until they kind of get their feet wet and they kind of get a handle on things, especially because there's no tune-ups for North Carolina on Saturday. So it just makes me wonder if the switch is going to be towards a little more passing, a lot more short game, quick stuff, slants, interrupts, staying away from wide receiver screens. I know this is a sore subject because, frankly, it's a sore subject for me. But just wondering, you know, and maybe we'll, and we'll probably start to find out on Saturday, if that shift on the offense is towards a little more in the passing game on the quick stuff to kind of keep the offense chains moving and the offense in slightly better positions as far as down and distance. And hopefully they can string together more drives and score more points for a nice change of pace. Jim, my closing thoughts are on former Syracuse linebacker Zaire Franklin now playing for the NFL's Indianapolis Colts. Franklin was a three-year captain at Syracuse, and on Tuesday, he was named one of the captains for the Colts. Franklin always struck me as an impressive leader. I'm so glad that his teammates recognized that. Congratulations to him on such a big honor. That's it for us for Jim Stick Schulte. This is Wes Chang reminding you that it's not that I don't appreciate the barista taking his time to carefully craft me a latte with a hardened foam, but really, just give me the caffeine, buddy. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Juice on the Cues podcast, part of the SNY.TV audio network. Introducing Carvana Value Tracker, where you can track your car's value over time and learn what's driving it. It might make you excited. Whoa, didn't know my car was valued this high. It might make you nervous. Uh Uh-oh, market's flooded. My car's value just dipped 2.3%. It might make you optimistic. Our low mileage is paying off. Our value's up. And it might make you realistic. Mm, Car prices haven't gone up in a couple weeks. Maybe it's time to sell. But it will definitely make you an expert on your car's value. Carvana Value Tracker. Visit Carvana.com to start tracking your car's value today.